your seat and your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. I want to spend a few minutes today talking to you about uh, this subject, Adam 2.0. Now that uh, really last week I shared with you a, a concept and a verse really in passing that teaches an important truth that I want us to consider more in depth this morning. In fact, one of the verses that I shared with you last week was from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 22, where we're told that as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And I made a statement last week that I want to explore more fully this week. And that statement was that your identity is in one of two places. It's either in Adam or it is in Christ. And today I want us to, to hone in on that difference between being in Adam and being in Christ. And in doing so, my prayer is that those who are here who may be listening to us today that are in Adam can be confronted with the reality of their spiritual condition before God and that those of us who are in Christ can be challenged to take seriously our calling as ambassadors of Christ who engage in the ministry of reconciliation by sharing the message of reconciliation. And to help us understand this, we're going to go all the way back to, uh, to, to maybe one of the more difficult passages in the book of Romans. It's not difficult to comprehend what is being said per se, but it is difficult, at least for me, to wrap my mind around the logic behind what is being said. Because in Romans chapter 5, Paul goes back to the Garden of Eden, and he goes back to the first man who was created, that being Adam, and he shows us how Adam's life sets up and displays the gospel. In doing so, what we're going to see this morning is that Jesus is the better Adam. He is Adam 2.0. Jesus is the better Adam. He is the true Adam. He is the one who will succeed in every way the first Adam and his descendants, that's us, have failed. Let's look at our text, Romans chapter 5. Let's start in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So Paul's telling us that Adam, the first human 
created chose to defy the authority of God and chose to willfully disobey the clear command of God in that he did not avoid, if you're making Genesis, he did not avoid the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And because of that choice, death descended upon all people. Even though we weren't physically present with Adam, God regards Adam's choice to be our choice. Now theologians call that the doctrine of original sin. Where in verse 12 he says, because all sin, that he is meaning all of us have sinned in Adam. Now at first this doesn't seem very fair. How can we be responsible for something in which we had no part? I mean, it's not like the effects of Adam's sin didn't have major consequences. I mean, you think about the, the effect of Adam's choice to sin, death passed upon all people. Every disease, every natural disaster, every struggle we have with sickness, every problem that we have in our marriages, every war that has ever occurred, every case of abuse that has ever existed, hell itself is in existence today and it all goes back to the choice that Adam made and we weren't even there when it happened. So the question is, how is that fair? Here's the important thing to remember. Adam is our representative in sin. And in calling him, catch this, in calling him our representative, God is saying that he, God himself, knew what, what Adam chose is what each of us would have chosen had we been in the same situation. You see, God, who knows every single thing about us and who is infinitely just, knew that given the same temptation, we would have done the same thing. Now, you may not like that Phrasing, but let me prove to you. Look, we can't even keep a tub of cookie dough, dough for, for chocolate chip cookie dough in our refrigerator without me facing the temptation to open it up and stick my fingers in it and eat some of it. <laughs> and I give in to the temptation much more than I don't. So it's all, and, and don't look at me like that, stop. <laughs> because it, yours may not be a cookie, a chocolate chip cookie dough, but it's something. And if we can't even stop those lesser temptations, the idea that I would have resisted the temptation to become godlike, it's almost laughable. I mean, had you and I been there, we would have jumped headlong into that. Now, some people say that it doesn't seem fair that we would be held accountable for something that we did not choose. However, haven't we all ratified Adam's choice at some point in our lives? Hasn't there been a point in your life when you adopted Adam's thinking? Has there ever been a time in your life when you thought, well, I know better than God. 
I would rather do what I want to do rather than what God wants me to do. How many times have you known the right thing to do, but you willfully chose not to do it? Anyone? The rest of you just sinned because you lied in the church. We have all ratified Adam's choice. This is all implied in verse 12. Because all sinned, God regarded Adam as our representative and we have repeatedly ratified his choice in our lives. The result of that is not good. Death, our scripture tells us, has spread to every person, physical and spiritual. Everybody dies. And I've got news for you today, and, and, and you may have walked into this uh, sanctuary as, as healthy as you could be, but we're all terminal. The death rate for humanity is one to one. For every person who is born, that person dies. This is the result of the choice we have made. This is the result of the choice that we have ratified. And the fact that we have inherited this sin nature means that it's not just that we're born with the ability to sin. It is that we are born with a desire to sin. And we are born innately knowing how to sin. We are born in a posture of rebellion before God with our fist clenched toward the heavens and we automatically assume that our way is better than anyone else's way and that what we want is more important than what anyone else wants even God and if you have ever parented a child you know this to be true my parents never sent me to sin camp I never had to have a seminar on selfishness. And I didn't have to teach my kids to do that either. They got it from me, and maybe a little bit from their mama, but mostly <laughs> from me. That we have inherited this sin. Say, Pastor, this is not a very enjoyable sermon, I know. So far, it's bad news. However, Paul then says that this whole idea of being represented by someone else is also good news because it set up our salvation. Think about this. If the whole world was put under sin by one man, what if salvation could be possible to everyone through one man? This is why Paul mentions at the end of verse 14 that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. And he says in verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. 
For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Adam and Jesus, the, 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 the comparison has been made. Paul is drawing some parallels between the two. Adam and Jesus are both alike in that their action has implications for the entire human race, yet they are very different. The first Adam selfishly disobeyed God and ate from the forbidden tree, bringing a curse upon the earth. The second Adam, Jesus, sacrificially obeyed God and climbed up upon a tree to take that curse into himself. The first Adam brought death to the entire human race. The second Adam restored the ability to have eternal life to all those who would receive it. Think about this. Adam was created on the sixth day of creation. Jesus was crucified on the sixth day of the week, the same day that Adam was created. It's almost as if the death of Jesus was bringing to an end the consequence of sin that began with Adam. One of the consequences of that sin from Genesis chapter 3 was that by the sweat of brow man would work and thorns and thistles would come up from the ground and on the cross Jesus wore upon his head thorns that were the result of sin he literally bore the cross upon the, the curse of sin upon the cross and upon his head the first encounter Jesus has after his resurrection guess where it was it was in a garden and he met a woman there by the name of Mary. And that woman did not know that it was Jesus. She thought he was the gardener. It's interesting that the first place that Jesus has fellowship with man after his resurrection is in a garden which was the last place God walked with man. Before sin entered the world, it was almost like God is saying, I came back for you and I met you in the same place that you left me. See, Paul is declaring what the Gospels also declare. Jesus is the second Adam, and he is able to restore all that the first Adam messed up. You see, we were condemned through the actions of a representative who did what any of us would have done in his situation. But we are saved through a representative who did what none of us could have done in any situation. He's the better Adam. 2.0, new and improved and perfect. Therefore, he says in verse 18, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, 
so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. See, there are two family lines. One originates in Adam. The other originates in Jesus. Which family you choose to be a part of is your choice. You're in one or the other. In fact, if you notice in the text, it mentions that word one uh, at least a dozen times. In the context of Romans chapter 5, one, that word one literally means unity with. And what Paul is telling us is that you are either one, you either have unity with Adam in his sin and condemnation, or you are one, you have unity with Jesus in his submission to the Father and the eternal life. That's the only two choices that are available for us today. And so Paul says in verse 20, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The law was not given to save us. The law was given to show us how sinful we are. Our hearts were sinful before the law. The law just reveals how sinful we are by showing us that we cannot keep the law, that we cannot keep the rules. The law did not create sin in us. The law revealed sin in us. In fact, so much so that in your zeal for keeping the law, your motive behind it is sinful. Let me give you an example. You may have heard before about my challenge at the red light of Stewart Street Street in Caroline. You see, when you come to that red light on Stewart Street, you've got two turn lanes. And if you've lived here for three days, it didn't take me three days to realize that that Second turn lane is over to your left. As soon as you turn, you have to merge. Now, if if I'm sitting there, I drive this every day. If I'm sitting there at that red light in the correct turn lane, I know there are two going once, really, right? The one that you don't have to merge. So I'm sitting through Red Light Stewart Street, and I'm on the right-hand turn lane. If someone comes up beside me in the left-hand turn lane, there becomes a blunder. I first look at their license plate. (laughs) If they're not from Santa Rosa County, I go, okay, they don't know any better. So I'm just going to let them go. Even though I know they're going to merge, I'm going to let them merge. If they're taxed in Santa Rosa County, I go, no, 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 (laughs) no. If I have to lose my sanctification, <laughs> they are not getting in front of me. They all know that I've merged, and if they don't know, that's <laughs> And in my, there have been a few times that I've done that, and I've had to drive past the church. <laughs> 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 I better go down See, I'm, if, if I've done that to you, I'm sorry. <laughs> Not really, but the kind of... In my zeal 
to think that that traffic pattern ought to go. In my zeal, I sin. In my zeal to make someone else ought to be sure that they keep the law as I interpret it. Because I know the law is you tend to get in there, but it shouldn't be in my opinion. And so in my zeal for what I think should be right, I end up sinning. And just as it's true for me, the reason I don't mind telling you my faults is because you got them too. <laughs> and we're in the same boat of sin at the end of the day. This is why we must be engaged in the ministry of reconciliation. This is why we must share the message of reconciliation. This is why we must identify our one. This is why we must care about our one. This is why we must invest in our one. This is why we must pray for our one. This is why we must serve our one. This is why we must share what Jesus has done for us with our one because the world is guilty of sin of the first Adam. Everyone including you, including your one has ratified his decision and the world needs to hear about the salvation that is available in the second Adam so they can have the opportunity to place their faith in him. And the good news this morning is that God has provided everything necessary for the salvation of the entire human race. God sent His Son, the second Adam, to redeem those who are still in the line that originates in the first Adam. Jesus died for all, but how will they call upon Him of whom they have not heard. For you see, every person you meet, even the people who sit opposite me in the turn lane, those are people who are sons and daughters just like me of Adam and Eve. We may come from different backgrounds and nationalities, but we have the same problem, sin. And praise be to God, we have the same solution. His name is Jesus. I wonder this morning, to which family do you belong? You didn't have to choose to be born into the family of the first Adam. But you must choose to be born again to be a part of the family of the second Adam. For my sin, as Paul will write later in Romans, and we don't have time to delve into it, but my sin, as great as it is, the grace of God is greater still. Do you have a relationship with that second Adam, Jesus Christ, who lived the life you could not live and died the death you should have died. And if you don't have that relationship, may I ask you this morning, why not? For he is simply a prayer away. Paul will say in Romans, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Have you confessed your sin to God? 
Have you believed in your heart that Jesus is who he said he is? That he lived the life that the first Adam, the first Eve, and every person after them could not live and died the death we should have died. If you've never made that decision, when we pause in just a moment, <clears throat> I invite you to, to speak to God, to pray to God, to ask Him to be your God, to ask His Son, Jesus, to save you from your sins. And if you have done that, have you gone after your one? Are you seeking to introduce that one who is still in the first Adam to the grace that the second Adam provides? So in this moment, if you need to cry out to Jesus to ask him to be your Lord and Savior, I implore you to do that this morning. If you've done that in these next few months, you pray. You pray for those initials that are on that one that's behind me because every one of those initials represents someone who if they're last days today, they're going to hell. And there are many more who could go on that. You're one that without Jesus, they will die in the first Adam's sin and be separated from God forever. The greatest tragedy of all is that of all the people who are in hell, not a single one has to be there. You don't either. Will you take these next 30 seconds and take whatever step God is calling you to make? If there is a step that you are prepared to take, we would love to come alongside you as you take that step. You can find, if you're here on campus, you can find a yellow card in the pew in front of you. That is the next step card. And you just fill out that card. Let us know your next step. <clears throat> when you leave today, drop that in the offering receptacles as you leave, and we'll be glad to follow up with you. Or you can bring it to me. I'll be at the, the next step desk that's out here in the, in the lobby. I'd love for you to come by and, and give that to me. If you're watching us online, you can go to fbcmilton.org, and there's a place there that you can let us know your next step as well. As we...